Hey, good morning and welcome to the Midtown Time of Worship. But before we jump into worship, I'd like to say a few things and give you some announcements. We are starting back on September the 6th, live worship services. And I know that for some of you, you're thinking, wow, this was way overdue. Why didn't we start this two months ago? For some of you, you're deeply concerned that we're starting on September the 6th. I know that we're a huge community here at Midtown, and we have opinions that range from those that believe that the epidemic is no big deal and some that believe that this is the most tragic thing that's happened in our lifetime. Who knows which one is true? I know that your leadership has been praying and working closely with the mayor's office to try to do what we think is best for you and also best for our city. Would you continue to pray for your leaders? Would you continue to pray for our community as we continue to try to bring thoughtful leadership to how we lead Midtown through this pandemic and through these unusual times? With that said, September the 6th, we're coming back. We're coming back to do three services as our Granny White and also three services at our 12 South location. These are going to be really limited services, a max 50 people. We're going to be observing social distancing, wearing a mask. We're going to try to keep that as safe as possible. But we also feel that it's so vitally important for us to come back live and worship and take communion and hear the preaching of the word that we're making that available for you. I know for some of you, that's not going to be an option. It's not just something that you can actually do or you don't have a good conscience about doing that. If that's true and that's true about you, we would encourage you to consider the home church model where we're helping you turn your backyard, your porch, your driveway, or your living room into a church where you gather your friends, where you gather maybe some of your neighbors, maybe even people that don't go to Midtown, or the people that you pot up with and invite them to come over to your house, turn on the worship service that we provide for you, sing with some people that love the Lord, hear the preaching of the Word, and even have some time of fellowship. But for some of you, even that is not a possibility, and we respect that. And we just want to continue to encourage you to use um, our worship services that we're providing to you on Sundays, that you would use that time to still honor the Lord and worship Him from the privacy of your home. Whichever of those options you choose, it's our prayer as leaders that you would choose one of these options to be a part of the community and the body of Christ and to worship the Lord. Hey, I also want to tell you that our small groups are starting back on September the 13th. Uh, some are going to be coming back by Zoom. Some are going to be coming back and actually meeting together. Some are going to be splitting up and doing smaller groups. But they're coming back, and I would encourage you that if you're not in a small group, that you would jump in, sign up. We're going to open up a registration online August the 28th, and you can go online and sign up to be a part of our small groups. Whatever options you choose for this fall, it is our prayer. We know we all need community. We need spiritual encouragement. We need a good spiritual food from the Lord. And so I pray that you'll take advantage of the opportunities that we're providing for you as we all try to figure out how to weather through this unusual pandemic. God bless you, and I hope that this time of worship will bless you deeply. Good morning, Midtown. Uh, as you come into worship this morning, there are a lot of would-be saviors out there for our anxieties and the problems that we're facing. There are a lot of prescriptions and remedies, but I want you to hear and lean your full weight into the Word of God because it is always true. And, and here's what the Lord says to us. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. The Lord loves us, 
He has made us righteous and he has rooted us in himself. Streams of living water. So let us go and worship him now. Midtown, let's sing this morning. And let's remember that we serve a living God. That our Jesus is alive. And that gives us hope and courage in these uncertain times. So let's sing together. How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night then through the darkness your loving kindness tore through the shadow of my soul the work is finished the end is written jesus christ my living its grip on me you have broken every chain there's salvation in your name jesus christ my living home and who could imagine how great a mercy but heart could fathom such boundless grace the god of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame the cross has spoken i am forgiven the king of kings calls me
Thank you, Father, for Jesus. He is our living hope that while we were still dead in our trespasses, he came and found us, forgave us, redeemed us, washed us clean, and that you are making us whole, and that you promised to continue to make us whole until the day of Jesus. So come now, Lord. Would you, would you give courage to our hearts? Would you feed us from your word? Would you remind us of who we are? In Christ we pray, amen. Well, good morning, Midtown. It's certainly a joy to be with you this morning. If you have a Bible or a copy of the scriptures, we're gonna be in the book of Philippians, chapter one, verses three through six this morning. I'll be reading from the ESV, Philippians one, three through six. And I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for all you making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Father God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, it was 1996. I was about to be a freshman in high school. It was a great year for Puff Daddy. Uh, but as I was going into high school, we had to go and meet our teachers on like before the first day started and to also meet all the coaches, like if we wanted to play sports. And so I was a decent baseball player. It wasn't great. It wasn't the worst. Uh, but I was told that I need to go meet our coach. So I went and met with him and I walked into his office. He was super intimidating. And he said, Jones, I guess we'll take you, but you're undersized. Uh, which is something that has never been said of me since that day, and that I would need to enroll in a weightlifting class uh, during school, but also stay after class, uh, rather after school, uh, to do kind of some after school extra weightlifting work, because he said I needed to put on some size. And then my dad heard that, and he farmed me out to my neighbor, Frank, who had me cut thistles and carry fence posts for him for six months. I never got paid. Frank still owes me money. Um, and so I walk into the weight room. There's a guy there uh, who's named Coach Briscoe. And you always hear these stories about how athletes and coaches have this inseparable bond and how they love one another and how they're role models and father figures. That was not the case uh, with Briscoe. He was the worst. Uh, he was a stereotypical gym coach slash Latin teacher. I'm not sure how he got that job. And he would always yell at us that we were doing our pull-ups wrong if that was possible. And he told me that my push-ups looked like a fish flapping around on a boat. 
And he would come up to me and he would grab me by the arm and he'd grab my shirt sleeve and he'd say, you're a high school athlete now, boy, you got to grow into those sleeves. And then he would tell us every day at the end of practice, hey, you're going to go home and you're going to be sore. And this process is going to hurt, but you're going to be different at the end of all this. When Paul is, is addressing the Philippian church here and what he's wanting to say to us is that uh, we have been declared righteous uh, by the finished work of Jesus on the cross. We have been told you are this, you're perfect, you're holy, you're clean, you're washed, you're mine, you're adopted. Uh, but also that this process now we are thrown into is called the process of sanctification or the process of holiness. So Paul is writing uh, this prayer from his jail cell, and he's making a promise to us. Uh, he's making a promise to us who read it and to those who would have, uh, have heard it originally that Paul knows that God did something for him that he could not do for himself. And he knows that this promise extends to all who follow God. And the promise is this, that he will finish what he has started. And because it is God who started our heart change, believers can rest in the security of knowing that God will complete it. Uh, and friends, as weird coach Briscoe said to me back in 96, this process sometimes will hurt, uh, but we'll be different people by the end. And Paul is saying to the Christian, the change that you desire uh, the real change that you're after is really possible. Um, so two points that we're going to look at from this passage and then sort of a so what kind of point of application is one, real change begins in the heart. Two, real change continues to eternity. And then so what? What does all this mean? So let's dive in. If we'll look again at Philippians uh, 1 verse 6, Paul says this, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul is praying here for the Philippian church. He's praying, but he's not praying for a new mattress. He's not praying for better jail food. Look at what he's praying for. He's praying for us and for our sanctification. And now sanctification is one of these, it's one of these $5 words that pastors like to throw around, but essentially what it's referring to is the process of becoming who you were declared to be when Jesus saved you. It's becoming who you've been declared to be. Uh, so we ask, how do we change? Or why do I even have to change? Can't God just snap his fingers and make me holy like Jesus is? Well, of course he can, but he doesn't. And since he doesn't, he must have a better and a different plan for us. And we call that plan the process of holiness or the process of sanctification. So where do we start? Uh, it's a daunting task, but where do we start? Uh, we start with the heart which may seem painfully obvious, but historically the heart is wildly misunderstood. And it's wildly misunderstood because Disney is crazy. And every second-rate rom-com and every goofy motivational poster has told us, hey, just go follow your heart without ever asking, is our heart worthy of being followed? The Bible would make the argument that it's not. Uh, we're never to ignore our heart, Instead, we're to think rightly of our heart because the heart is of extreme importance in the life of a Christian. And change begins at that moment in which you begin to see your heart rightly. And because the heart actually drives everything we do, we read in Proverbs to guard our heart for, it, for out of it flows the wellsprings of life. According to scripture, it's the heart that drives the car. But the prophet Jeremiah tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things and who can know it? 
So not only is the heart driving the car, the heart has just pounded a sixer of Red Bull and it's cut the brake lines and it's slapped a cinder block on the gas pedal. And now the heart is moving us right for a cliff and we're about to go over. Uh, the heart is super powerful. Uh, Tim Keller says it this way, what the heart trusts, the mind justifies, the emotions desire, and the will carries out. Let's say that again. What the heart trusts, the mind justifies, the emotions desire, and the will carries out. Uh, think of the story of Adam and Eve and the fall of humanity. The story told to Eve that she won't die and that she will be like God and her heart trusted it. Then her mind justified it because not dying and being like God sounds like a pretty good deal. And then she saw this fruit and thought, man, this may cause the destruction of everything, but that fruit sure looks really tasty. Then her will plucks it off the tree and she eats it and the rest is history. And from that moment since, our hearts have been askew. Our hearts have been turned in on themselves. Why have I been on a diet for 20 years? Because I like tater tots more than I like fitting in a medium t-shirt. Why are our sweet and precious children also vipers and diapers? Because they want what they want and they won't stop until they get it. Why do idolatry and injustice exist? It's for the same reason. They promise what Eve was promised, that you won't die and you'll be like God. So we turn our affections to things that were never meant to bear the weight that we asked them to bear. This is the modus operandi of idolatry, always over-promising and under-delivering. So what scripture tells us is that we have to own the disaster that is our own heart. And we have to see it for what it is. Understanding and seeing your heart rightly is the first step to real biblical change because we must first see that the heart that is apart from Christ is reckless at the will. But change is possible. A heart surrendered to Christ is possible of change, but it isn't enough to just understand the heart. We must then figure out how to pry it from the driver's seat and to place Christ there, which brings us to our second point. Real change continues until eternity. If real change begins with understanding our heart, um, then we must see it for what it is and ask God to fix it. Because that's the great story of Scripture, right? It's God making the world right again, God making hearts right again, God undoing all that sin has done. And because of God's fierce commitment to you, friends, change is possible. And it comes by worship. Uh, we have worshiped our way into sin, and we have to worship our way out of it. Uh, but what are you, what are you talking about, Daryl? Uh, why are you yelling at me? Uh, to be made right, I just have to follow the rules and obey, right? Uh, that's what I was told in youth group, that as long as I don't drink or chew or go with girls that do, then I'd be okay. That if I slap on a purity ring and promise not to cuss, then God has to love me. Uh, if only it were that easy. If only it were that easy as just following just a simple list of rules that we've made up. There's this episode of The Office. It's a kind of famous show uh, where Michael Scott, the lead character, is going broke. Uh, his girlfriend, Jan, has spent all his money. Uh, but he also wastes a ton of money on things like bass fishing equipment and magic kits. And so Creed, who's kind of this slimy guy in The Office, encourages him, hey, if you just declare bankruptcy... You can get out from under all that debt. And so Michael gets excited, and then he walks out of his office sort of into the bullpen where the other folks are sitting, and he just, he just screams, I declare bankruptcy, uh, to which one of the accountants, Oscar, said, that's not how that actually works. Uh, friends, you can't just approach holiness by screaming holiness 
And shopping only at LifeWay.com, the only way to kill the idols is to hold out to your heart something that is better. We worship our way in, and we have to worship our way out. And this is where Jesus comes in, the great lover of our souls. Because change does not come through sheer force of will or just gritting your teeth or smacking yourself in the head and saying you'll never let it happen again. It only comes with the beauty and the majesty of Jesus as it conquers your heart. Midtown, in seeing Jesus as more beautiful and more believable, we can begin to put to death those sins that so easily entangle us. We can participate in taking them under siege, and we can start to starve them out. The evil one is prowling like a lion, seeking, seeking whom he will devour, but Jesus is there. And Jesus will equip you to fight, but it only comes when you show your heart that those things that you love, those things that seek uh, really to just destroy you, can be conquered by a love that will not let you go. This is why we employ the means of grace. This is why we pray. This is why we repent. Prayer is submitting and admitting to God that we are not in control of our lives, and we need Him to make sense of our hearts. This is why we read Scripture, not to become some theological egghead. We read Scripture to allow Scripture to examine our hearts as we examine its pages. We come to church, not because we like to get up early and drink lukewarm coffee. We come to church to lock arms, sanitized arms, with fellow believers to mutually acknowledge our desperate dependence on Jesus. The waters of baptism that are applied to your head signify that we need someone else to come and wash us clean. Coming to the open table of communion with arms wide and with heart abandoned to taste and savor simply a morsel of Jesus until we are with him for eternity because we know we cannot save ourselves. But friends, the means of grace are not the ends of grace. None of these things will save you, but they will point you to the one who can. None of these things will change you in and of themselves, but they will point you to the one who can. Many of us, myself included, like to take this pro-wrestling approach to fighting sin, where it looks like we're hurting one another, and it looks like we're hitting each other in the head with steel chairs. But really, at the end of all this, we're just going to go grab some drinks together. Mortifying our sin, really fighting it, really trying to put it to death, is a contact sport. And it's going to get really ugly. And you're going to get cleat marks on your calves and grass stains on your shirt because sanctification is about killing sin before it kills you. But I promise you this, and Paul promises this in this passage in his prayer, that you will change because of it. And that you'll find yourself in 10 years or 20 years or 50 years from now to be more patient, uh, to be more loving, to be more kind, to be more angry at your sin but it only comes with Jesus drop-kicking your idols from the center of your heart. As the Puritan Thomas Chalmers said, it isn't enough to hold out a mirror of its imperfections to your soul. It's not enough to lecture your conscience. Rather, and hear this, Midtown, rather, you must try every legitimate method of finding access to your hearts for the love of Him who is greater than the world. Finding access to your heart for the love of Him who is greater than all the world. The secret to a changed life is to see that what our heart truly desires is the one who designed it. And then to kill our sin by his grace and by his power. And I know what you're thinking, Daryl, prayer is boring and reading scripture is too hard and church is goofy and people hug too much. Why should I care about change anyway? Which brings us to our last point. So what? What is the point of all this? 
If my heart is a dumpster fire and my life feels like I'm trying to swim while wearing concrete shoes, then why can't I just eat and drink and be merry? Why can't I just push all my poker chips to the middle of the table and go enjoy myself? Why can't I just go live at Tootsie's and not wear a mask and go lick a bunch of doorknobs? The answer is because God has promised you heaven. And not the dumb, fat, angel baby plucking a harp heaven that you learned about from Bugs Bunny, but the real and lasting and new and renewed forever with him. That heaven isn't simply a break from all the screaming and all the bad drivers and all the inflated Uber Eats delivery prices. Heaven, friends, is heavenly because Jesus is there. And it marks the end of all the idolatry. It marks the end of all the injustice. It marks the end of all the fighting. It is where we will be with God. That is the motivation of Scripture. The great promise given to us by God himself that we'll be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, spotless and blameless, and that we'll be with him. The great promise that God will be our God and that we will be his people. So why do we fight sin? Why do we strive for our kids and our friends and our family and even ourselves to know and fall in love with Jesus? It's because we know ultimately that this is the only story worth living, that this is the mess worth making, that sanctification is a mess worth making. Friends, change is possible because Jesus has not forgotten you and God the Father has not forgotten you. And the Holy Spirit has not forgotten you. Even if you're terrible at teaching fake homeschool, God has not forgotten you. God is completing what he has started. And because of that, we must look back and see Jesus. And we look back and see him living and breathing and walking and speaking and bleeding and dying to purchase our souls from the pit of hell. We see him rising again from the grave. We see him seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And remember his words from John 15, that apart from him, we can do nothing. And that it is Jesus who loves you and Jesus who gave himself up for you and who declared us righteous and now allows us, as the great John Newton wrote to sing, approach my soul, the mercy seat, where the holy one and the helpless meet and there fall before the judge's feet. Thy promise is my only plea, O God to grip onto that promise and never let go, that it is possible to grow into the identity that has been declared for us and that he who began a good work in you will complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. Because friends, he who called you is faithful in Midtown, he will surely do it. Let's pray together. Our great and gracious Heavenly Father, uh, we're undone by this promise uh, that you love us enough to not leave us and that you love us enough to care for us um, and that you love us enough to see what you've started to completion. Uh, and so as we are dealing and fighting sin, uh, as we're running from it, as we're falling prey to it, uh, remind us that you have not left us. Remind us uh, of your son who has purchased redemption for us. Remind us of the Holy Spirit who has applied it to our hearts. Uh, and we will leave here. Uh, we will leave our homes. We will head into the world rejoicing greatly and saying, oh, what a mighty God we serve. And it's in his son's name that we do pray. Amen. I'm going to tell us sing again. Let's just confess our need for the Lord and remind ourselves that he is here, that he is near, and that he is ready and willing and able to forgive us.
streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise and teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above praise the mountain fixed upon it mount of god's redeeming scripture together and as we read it we can read it with confidence and with courage because it's a declaration that in Jesus Christ God has promised to complete his work so let's read this and take courage in this truth therefore since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Now let's worship the Lord and his goodness for his forgiveness to us. What love could remember no wrongs we have done omniscient all-knowing he counts not their sum 
thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. What patience would wait as we constantly roam? What Father so tender is calling us home? He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more.
Midtown, we have just been reminded that we serve a God who is always at work. That when we can see it and when we can't, when we, when we can feel it and when we can't, that God is always working, preparing us and fitting us for the new heavens and the new earth that he's created. And so in that hope, we work alongside him. So hear this benediction out of 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Go in peace.